Welcome to Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners, the podcast for dentists who are ready to take their practice to new heights. Join your host, Stan Kinder, who has worked with the profession over four decades and now represents practice owners interested in exploring a relationship with a DSO. On the show, he explores ways to grow your income and increase the value of your practice. Expect thoughtful conversations with influential guests who are pioneers in the dental industry. From insightful dental consultants to to brilliant marketing experts from accomplished dental practice owners to innovative dental manufacturers this podcast will bring you a diverse range of perspectives success strategies for dental practice owners is here to equip you with the tools and information you need to thrive your practice's future begins right here and now here's your host stan kinder welcome everybody to another episode of the success strategies for dental practice owners podcast my guest today is uh, Dr. Mike Rimmels. Um He is one of the most entrepreneurial dentists uh, I've encountered in my 40 years of working with the profession and uh, thought he would be a great guest. Um, Mike, my, my objective in, the, uh, in this podcast series is really to expose the listeners to uh, subject matter experts and thought leaders that can give them uh, information that will enable them to accelerate uh, their pursuit of their success, however they define it. And uh, given what you've achieved with your group, um, I felt that you could offer some excellent perspective. Uh, in the sake of full disclosure for everybody, I just want to put it out there that my low point in uh, calendar year 2023 was my resounding defeat at the hands of Dr. Rimmels and our NCAA tournament wager. <laughs> um, and uh, I know he's going to lord that over me at some point. So I just thought I would get out of the way out of the box. Well, we ate the cake, the cake. I'm not even joking last week. It was in the freezer forever because we're on vacation when it came. <laughs> so lemon cake was great. <laughs> super, super. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, Mike, a good starting point maybe is for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what your dental journey has been like, you know, where you started, where you are today. Sure. You know, I'm not a huge fan of talking about myself. I think you know that, Stan. So, you know, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, if it helps in any way, um, you know, first and foremost, I'd like to say, you know, it, it comes down to a team, right? And so and it comes to advisors and people you trust. And so, um you know, my journey has always been, you know, to try to find people that have done it before me and kind of, you know, follow their lead. Um, and so went to University of Maryland, uh, four years of dental school. I was going to go to medical school, uh, met a bunch of physicians. They all hated their jobs. And then I met one dentist randomly and uh, just, he loved it. So I didn't even think twice, just jumped in. So I went to dental school. And then uh, after that, joined the Air Force, which was, you know, if, if there are dentists out there looking for a path, uh, the military is an amazing path, uh, great residencies, great. Uh, you, you learn so much um, and you have mentors in, in the military. So I highly recommend it. And then after the military was an associate under Dr. Yagi uh, in, in Charlotte. And he was fantastic. Um, you know, just uh, the nicest guy in the world. I happened to find the right fit. And then after two years, uh, he was selling one of his practices to, to somebody who was trying to lowball my price or trying to just, heavily negotiate. I don't really, well, we'll probably get into this, but I don't negotiate uh, with prices on things. I just say, 
you know, what's your best price? If that's the price, then great, I'll buy it. If not, I just kind of walk away. Um, it just seems to work that way. So I just sat in his office one day at lunch and um, he was telling me a story about this. And I said, well, I'll buy it from you. And five minutes later, uh, we literally had a signed purchase. And, you know, sight unseen, I just bought it. And I knew that I knew the dentist that was there. I knew I could do a better job. And so I just jumped in, you know, two feet. So um, that kind of snowballed into, you know, uh, more practices, bought bought the first one and then brought in an owner operator that bought in half. And, um, and then just kept kept recycling the same idea. I'm in no way a smart person. Just kind of, you know, what if it worked, I just recycle it. Yep. Yep. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, what year it was that you acquired that first practice and then kind of the number of practices uh, that are under your, your umbrella today. Sure. It was 2006. I left the Air Force. Uh, so I did three years active and then five reserve. And then uh, so 2006 came to Charlotte, two year associateship with that dentist. So about 2008, uh, my wife and I actually bought land uh, in uh, while well, I was in, still in the Air Force. So we sat on it for about two years and then we, we started construction and it, we were just going to open uh, this one off practice. And then you know, this other practice fell in my lap. And so bought that and opened that practice up in the same year. So we had two within the first year and our, our cycle has been adding, you know, two or three a year. Uh, we're not a, you know, we're not backed by private equity or anything of that nature. We do everything bank financing. We go slow. We find the right partnerships. Uh, we find dentists that are, you know, looking for someone to kind of handle the financials, someone to have back them financially. And then, um, you know, they want to do the clinical and then, you know, and have a, a nice life mix. And so um, those partnerships tend to work pretty well. And uh, we both kind of win on those. Great. Great. Tell me a little bit about sort of what was the motivation or your thinking to go down the sort of group practice, multi-site mm-hmm. path. Because, uh, um, you know, I, one of the things that I see is a lot of people that that start, you know, kind of get to, you know, somewhere between yeah. two and four practices, and then they, they sort of stop there. Yeah, so I think the reason for that is if you're a dentist and you're, you're good clinically, right, right? I think first step, you got to be good. I mean, you got to be really and so, you know, once you're there, uh, then you can open a second practice. And between, you know, you could do two days of one, two days of the other, have an associate and, and potentially an owner down the line with that. Um, and you can get away with that. You know, three practices, you're there maybe one and a half days each practice. You probably can still get away with it. But once you get beyond that, uh, you really have to have systems in place that work when you're not there. And I just don't think in 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 the DSO model that works very well unless you have owner occupy owner owner, owner occupiers of, of the space, right? Um, and so that's why I went with you know having owners at each site. I just think that you know continuity of care. I'm a dentist first and foremost. Uh, I care about the patients. I care that you know they're getting proper treatment. And if you have an associate driven business, uh, I don't think there's continuity think it's tougher to train it's tougher to you know as you keep replacing the associates year over year i think you can have an owner on site and then have associates there because even if they cycle through uh there's still someone there that's uh, treating the patients on a regular basis and, um, the system stay put and so that's 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 the path we went and i think that's why a lot of dentists fail after a certain number of practices 
Right, right. And that you kind of, to some degree, have already answered my next uh, question, and that is, are there any sort of core principles or strategy, strategies that you have adhered to as, you, as you've uh, grown? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and clearly yes. having a partner in uh, each location, uh, I think, would qualify as one of those sort of core principles. Yeah, I think, I think you know, I just taught this today. I teach finance at high school. And so we, we, I, I teach from 745 to 830, and it's Monday through Friday, and it's just seniors. And and I taught the principle today of, of having a vision, right? And so, you know, it's it's the Tim Ferriss book, if, you, if you've read it. You know, what's your lifestyle going to be? Right. And you really have to decide what that is. And I, I believe in, you know, the, the concept of what's your number and what's your number? What is that 65 that if you multiply it by 5%, you can live on that the rest of your life. And, you know, if, if your number is $3 million, right, which is, is low because you account for inflation and things of that nature. But if, if, and I'm big on finances, Stan, you know this. So if, if, if it's, if it's $3 million, don't go buy practices. Just be an associate, take 15% of your income and, and grow it through a passive index fund or some, some other form of investment. But if it's aggressive, it's like, hey, I need, or not need, but I desire a certain amount at 65, you know, find that or back into it and find out how to attain that. And, and that's, I think that's the number one principle that I work with. It's, you know, this is the goal. And then now let's figure out the path to get there. But it's, you know, you got to work backwards. And if you do that, I think it really cl- uh, clarifies what you're trying to uh, trying to do on a, on a daily basis. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, um, one of the other people that I interviewed on the podcast was an investment advisor, and he, he one of the things that he uh, uh, postulated is it's really important to understand with a high degree of clarity what it is that you actually want, you know, what are your values? You know, where do you, where do you want to get to? Uh, What are your goals? And he said that that will inform your investment decisions. And uh, you know, essentially you're saying the same thing. It'll just inform your practice decisions or your business decisions. Yeah. Um, Owning a practice is stressful. Like, I mean, just come on, let's be honest about it. Yeah. It it is tough, especially in today's market with team resource issues and things of that nature. So I, 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 I'm I'm telling people is if your goals are, you know, if you figured it out and you can get there as an associate, all of, all the power to you. But I really believe that dentists should have ownership in their, in their business. I really think that, you know, they can direct their lives, but, but it isn't for everybody. It just isn't. So uh, maybe it's, maybe if you find a partner and you own, 30 or 40% or maybe in our group, we do 50, 50. I don't own a majority. I just don't think it's right. I think every chef say equal partners and things of that nature. But, um, but for, uh, you know, for, for a person that's not looking for that, maybe uh, someone that has, you know, it, uh, it's, it's given a percentage versus, uh, versus a full, full ownership. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but with that comes problems too, right? <laughs> you know, are, are, are you happy with the partnership? You get along with the person, you know, those type of things. Yeah, yeah, sure. Shared decision making uh, uh, has positives and the other side of the coin, it has some negatives. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's, it, it's uh, everybody has an opinion and they aren't always uh, opinions that you agree with, I'm sure. But I, I'll tell you, I just wish the one thing they would teach in Dallas school is how do you budget? Like just just flat out, 
you know, work the numbers backwards from 65 and just fudge it. You know, you, I, I, I explained it today. It's just funny how this has come up today. But, uh, you know, how much how much is an $80,000 car? Right. And, and people, you know, what are you talking about? It's $80,000. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, there's, there's taxes, you know, maintenance. But the biggest expense, believe it or not, is it's post-tax money. Right. Right. So, you know, an $80,000 car, if you're paying 48% tax rate, you, know, you got to make close to $150,000, $155,000 to pay for an $80,000 car. So you're really paying $150,000. And so, you know, it was, it was mind blowing to them. And I would say nine out of 10 dentists don't, don't understand that concept. Right. Oh, and absolutely. And, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's in my experience, the vast majority of the dentists that I meet really think of their practice as a vehicle that allows them to practice their, their trade, their, mm-hmm. their profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the focus in dental school is clinical training, developing clinical skills. And most dentists, when they go into practice, that's how they view themselves. It's a very small minority that actually think about their practices as businesses. And um, that in my experience, they tend to be the ones that achieve uh, exponentially higher levels of uh, financial and practice success as a result. It's kind of the Michael Gerber e-myth uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, personified for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, your business is just a tax diversion or avoidance. That's all it is. Right. So what's your biggest, big, biggest expense? It's not your kids. It's taxes. Right. So if you can own your business, buy your car through your business, you know, uh, get taxed at capital gains tax instead of ordinary income, all, all these different things. It's a huge uh, benefit. So I, I, I highly recommend it. To yep. Yep. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, obviously, um, one of the underlying premises of growing in scale is that you develop the ability to centralize certain functions. I'm curious in your group, what are some of the functions that that you've chosen to centralize? Mm -hmm. And maybe if you could um, explain a little bit of the rationale as to why. Sure. So we actually don't centralize a lot of things. You, we could streamline things, I believe, better uh, if we so chose to. Uh, I would, uh, I would say we did not do AR because I've been a patient before <laughs> in either medical or dental, and uh, when I receive a bill from somebody that doesn't understand the bill and there's a question, I got frustrated when I called there. So, um, you know, having that on site, I believe, is is critical. Now, anything over sixty days. Then it goes to a centralized building, right? So it's, hey, what's going on? And, and we, we, so it's overseen by a central, uh, central player. We have about 12 on our management team now. Okay. So we have some, we have, I think two or three now that just handle AR across the board. And it's not the, the zero to 60 day stuff, right? You let that handle on site, you know, call center. I, you know, I, I've heard some call centers work for some people. Uh, you know, I've seen, uh, larger DSOs fail with a call system, uh, call system. So. I've decided, you know, we're going to do a phone tree uh, that behaves uh, more like we want, you know, so say new patient calls uh, one and then two, we take the you know, majority of the, the, uh, the people that are new patients because that's the lifeblood of practice. So we try to figure out, you know, ways to, to, to maximize our benefits. Uh, but then, um, you know, we have a, a CFO. So all the ba- uh, uh, bill pay, all the payroll, all that stuff is centralized. 
uh, anything financial is definitely centralized. Um, but I think, you know, hiring, you know, we have HR people centralized uh, to really help us, uh, you know, find the talent or source the talent. And then um, um, trying to think what else, I think that's pretty much it. But, you know, we do not centralize nearly uh, what other businesses do. And, and, I, and that's intentional. Yeah, yeah, I'm, and I agree with you. I think that uh, a lot of times those centralized functions end up being less efficient, not more efficient, uh, particularly uh, for for the uh, the end user, the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's uh, efficiency is a good thing, but it's gotta it's gotta work for uh, uh, the patient slash customer in the uh, final analysis. Uh, in in my yeah. judgment. You got, I mean, I, I assume the people listening to this podcast are dentists or in the, in the in- industry, right? And so if you have you know, a dentist asking you what, you know, the, the Heartlands, the Aspen, I mean, these large DSMs, right? You know, they're coming to my neighborhood. How am I going to compete with them? They have to compete with you. I mean, that's my opinion, right? They, uh, they're going to have, they're not, associ- they're associate driven, right? Um, they're, they're not going to have continuity of care at the level that you if you create a patient experience, you're going to win. I mean, it, there's there's no doubt in my mind. They may have a nicer building because they're brand new. Uh, they have nicer equipment because it's all brand new. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're the commodity. I mean, you're the you're you're what people buy. You're what you're you are what people buy. And so, if you create that patient experience, you write a thank you card, right? Uh, you uh, you know remember their birthday when they come in. You remember who their family is. Are. My wife is amazing. She's 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 a dentist, and you know we'll be out at the mall or you know the grocery store, and we'll run into patients, and she starts having conversations with them. Oh, how's Sally? How you? It, you know, I don't remember a thing. I'm the worst at that, right? So you know, <laughs> patient experience when I'm I'm a dentist. No, no, you're not getting. But with her, you know, we grew up practice so fast because she cares. She has empathy to these. Like it's just she just honestly cares about them and their families, and so. If you do that, you will blow away any DSO that's next door. You just will, right? Yeah, and so yeah. then, then use that money and go build, you know, get the nicer equipment. Go do all, do whatever you want to do at that point. But you know, don't fear this competition. That's this, you know, and don't undersell your dentistry, you know, in terms of cost. Don't, uh, you know, $50 exam plus it. People are going to come to you. Treat them well and they're going to come. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's like anything. Uh, when you think across any kind of uh, a business or service, generally people are willing to pay for quality. Um, you know, yeah. there's uh, uh, a lot of discretionary decision making at the top end of the food chain, no matter what industry you're talking about. Uh, yeah. uh, Apple's a, a great example of that. You know, their computers are more expensive, their phones are more expensive, um, but still they're wildly popular and people are. Well, you not to interrupt that, but you you the thing you gotta remember is you, you actually have to be good too, right? So you for all you dentists coming out of dentistry, right? You're not good. I mean, it's just the reality is is you're not good. You gotta pay the money to go to the, the Spears, the Dawson's, the Coys, all these different larger you, you gotta find a path. Look at find a mentor, get on a track for CE, right? You know, people just dentists in general are mad at the bigger DSOs, the Heartless, the Asms. I've seen what Heartland does in terms of the CE they provide their employees. It's impressive. I mean, just straight up, right? They're getting them trained. They're, I mean, if the dentist is serious, they can actually get a lot of training through Heartland and, and through the, the different stuff. So kudos to that. Everybody's so negative on them. I, I don't care what they do, right? I mean, 
just if I'm going to compete with them, this is how I'm going to do it. Right? I'm, I'm going to beat them up on this, right? But to say they're not doing anything well is, is false, right? So dentists coming out, and if they work for them and they get the extra training, that's great, okay? But I believe as an individual, if you come out, you can do this on your own. You just have to find the path, but you got to be good at dentistry. That that has to, you can have the empathy, you can have a lot of stuff, but you got to be good at your craft. And um, so I would start. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, you know, I, I, one of the things I was going to explore a little bit is, you know, how you distinguish yourself as being either alike or different from DSOs. And you, mm-hmm. you essentially just described that. Um, I, you know, in, in my experience, and, you know, my background is largely in the, mm-hmm. in the DSO world, um, although I've done uh, management consulting and any number of other things and working with uh, with practices, and I've actually owned some practices indirectly in partnership with dentists in the past myself. So I kind of uh, have experienced it in the full gamut. And I would say that the better high quality DSOs, you know, do generally a pretty good job and. I, you know, you mentioned the clinical training programs and the staff training programs at Heartland. I think that's what they really excel at. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, and certainly as compared to some of their other DSO competitors. Now, there are some DSOs that don't do the right things the right way. And, I, you know, my belief is that uh, they're going to have fairly limited futures as a as a consequence um, you know, you can only take shortcuts for so long before it catches up with you. And, you know, trying to drive numbers in, uh, you know, contrived and forced ways uh, isn't isn't really the answer um, uh, in in my judgment, for sure. I would 100% agree with that. You know, when you look at what's your ratio of crown is two, two surface that is not a stat we look at. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, to me, that's that's not allowing the dentist to use their license in an appropriate manner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Mike, tell me a little bit about how you've financed your growth. Obviously, yeah. you've acquired existing practices. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you built and started some from scratch, but in all instances, it, it, it takes capital in order to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about how you pursued that, because one of the things that I, I think frequently becomes kind of a, a limiting factor or a ceiling for some dentists that start down the same path that you're on is they they reach a point where they start to feel uncomfortable with the amount of debt that they have to take on. Yeah. So now is the question. What did I do right <laughs> or what did I do wrong? Let's, let's start with I, I well, why don't you give us both? <laughs> All right. So, you know, I, I think you need to be creative, right? So when you evaluate a practice, you know, will it cash flow? That's the most important thing. Okay. And it can't cash flow and just basically pay the dentist. So what we look at is what is the doctor's production? Say he produce, he or she produces 800000 right? And so- what I like to do is I say 35% of that goes to the doctor, right? And whether that's, you know, 32% of collections and then it's uh, 3% for payroll tax, whatever it is. So just say 35%. So is the practice profit more than $250,000? Because if it's not, then you're cutting into the doctor. Right? So we like, we for us, 
we want to see a margin of at least 10% before we even look at a practice after paying the dentist, right? And so if that's the case, <clears throat> then we're going to look at a practice and say, okay, you know, we like it. This is what we're going to do. We, we feel like we can grow it and add this, this, and this, but we at least are know we're going to be able to pay the note back. And what kind of note are you looking for? And the first thing I would look for is, to do, will they offer owner financing? And believe it or not, at some points, you are going to find people that like the option of order financing. And so what does order financing look like? It, you know, it, it's, you know, you pay a certain percentage down in cash, uh, but the rest, the owner you know, will take the hit and you, it, it'll be nice interest rate for them. Uh, they can have some, you know, passive income over the next few years. Um, if I were an owner, would I sell it to owner financing? No, I wouldn't because if they default, then I get my practice back and I'm already on the beach. So I don't know if that's, <laughs> if that's uh, something I look for, but um, we've bought a couple uh, doing owner finance, and it's a great deal. If you can get it, it's the best way to do it. Um, yeah. And then the next step is is to find a banker. So you need a team, right? And so the, the team has to be a banker, a lawyer, uh, and an accountant, right? And you can add your CFP. I don't. I, my dad is my CFP, uh, but for the most part, I do my own financial stuff. You know, I, I have my MBA, went back and got that. So I, I really... I uh, think that, you know, you really need to read finance books left and right. So I read about two finance books a week uh, just because I want to stay on top of what's going on. Uh, so I highly encourage that. So you may or may not need a CFP. Uh, so but you definitely have to have an accountant and uh, you definitely have to have a banker, right? And, and an attorney. So the banker, you got to build that relationship. So everybody starts with their local bank. Uh, you know, in, in North Carolina, we have some called First Citizens. It's a local bank here. That's who I started. With. Um, but I would say if you're looking to do multiple practices, you may want to skip the local bank and find a regional bank. Um, I would stay away from uh, the larger banks, the Wells, the Bank of America, the uh, city banks and things of that nature, um, because they have, have things on their covenants um, that are not great for dentists in general. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is because they're an example of. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, your debt to equity ratio, which is required by all banks. Uh, but every time you do a deal, uh, the larger banks actually have their attorney review all the contracts to make sure everything is the way they want it, not the way necessarily you want it. And not only do you have to pay your attorney to review it, then you have to pay their banker to review it. So every deal adds an extra $15,000. Incredible. Just dumb. I mean, just, and, and we did that, right? Because we thought, oh, we need a big bank. Uh, we, you know, we did a group. And after a year, I was like, what am I doing? This makes no sense. Can you find that regional bank that is large enough uh, to, to sustain your growth? Right. And that, that's, that's key. And so if you're looking for multiple practices, I'd skip the local bank, try to find your regional bank. And, you know, regional bank just means, hey, they're represented in five or six states. Uh, they have the ability to grow to, you know, 20 million or whatever that number is that you're looking for in terms of debt. Um, do they have a line of credit so that you can buy a practice quickly? Because competition is just is, is is staggering. And so, you know, if you're a dentist looking to sell your practice and you're selling it for 1.5 million and you have two offers, you have it from a DSO that has a line of credit that is already pre-approved that will hand you the cash today uh, or someone, hey, I got to go to the bank and get financing. All right, well, they're going to take the cash in hand, right? And so, you know, can you build a line of credit that automatically will pay, and then uh, then it goes into a conventional loan afterwards, right? And so, um, regional banks can do that. Your local bank probably not. Uh, and so um, that's so we we moved. We went from the, the local. We skipped regional, went right to uh, the, the the larger banks, 
that did not work. And then we're now uh, really happy at, at a regional bank. And, you know, it's it's first rise in uplink. Uh, I think they do a phenomenal job. I'm very happy. My banker's John Natale. And uh, just, I'm, I'm so pleased um, that, uh, you know, anytime I ask them for something, they're on top of it. Um, you know, they're not giving away money, right? I mean, they're, they're earning it. Uh, uh, and they make it, they make a fee, uh, but it's fair and, uh, and, and it really has grown our business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, uh, um, sort of what, what, uh, I think one of the key takeaways from what you just described is have that banking relationship in place before you go looking for a practice, because it'll enable you to, to move uh, uh, both at a higher velocity as well as with greater confidence that you can get to the finish line and get the deal done. Yeah, you, and you got to be able to call somebody. Like so, so if you're a customer of of theirs and and it's a good relationship, they have a private banking for you. Like I don't have to go to the bank to I like, I literally call somebody and they answer the phone and they're like, yeah, we'll do that for you, no problem. We'll do. So it's just a conversation. You, you know, dentists, I think they undersell themselves. You guys are big enough. You should have a private bank. You should grow your money and assets and, and ask the banker to introduce you to people that, you know, are doing things so you can invest, you know, with them. And yeah. the, the banker should not just be, hey, you need money. Let me write you a check. And, and there it is. Right. It should be a relationship. It should be, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm lost. You know, I need help uh, with this. You know, help me and, and they'll, they'll guide you. They'll put you in touch with the people that, that are doing those type of things, real estate or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, now. One of the things that the DSOs have uh, created, I think, in the dental transaction marketplace is uh, they've been a little disruptive to the degree that their valuations <laughs> uh, tend to be much higher than traditional dentist-to-dentist transactions, mm-hmm. uh, um, primarily because when a dentist buys a practice, the limit is what the bank is willing to lend, yeah. uh, whereas the DSOs buy it as a, as an ongoing business enterprise, just like they buy a manufacturing business, mm-hmm. a retail business, distribution. Oh, you want to say discount cash flow so bad. That's what you're sitting there going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I'm curious if you have um, progressively encountered, um, you know, tougher and tougher purchase conversations as a result of, the DSO buyers being out there uh, throwing around these big numbers. Yeah. So I would say, yes, uh, I, I, and we won't budge. We will not budge. We, we are a happy group of people. Uh, we don't need to add to the group. Uh, we add because we're happy. And if it's the right fit, we'll add it. Right. Um, we have a partner or an associate that wants to become a partner, wants to go buy a practice with us. Uh, we'll find the right fit or we'll build it. Right. Um, but we're not going to uh, put value on something that's not there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, can PE or, or, or DSOs, right, can, can they buy it at a higher multiple? Yes and no. Right. Um, at some point, the value will be even too high. And when they buy it, it'll hurt them. Right. Uh, and I think the, the DSO failure point um, is going to be when they are run by associates. The five-year commitments or three-year commitments, whatever the dentists that are leaving uh, sign for it, right? Um, 
whatever that commitment is, once that's over and a certain percentage of the DSO practices are led by associates and not owners, I think that's that's the fault. That, that That's going to be when uh, you start to see a, a downtick or downturn uh, on the DSO valuations. And, um, and the DSOs are going to have to find a way to get ownership back into the hands of the debtors. That's my opinion. Yeah. Or whatever it's worth, right? Yeah, yeah I, I don't disagree with you. And that the better managed um, and and uh, uh, what I would say are the higher quality DSOs, mm-hmm. in fact, have structured programs to move associates into into ownership. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, this kind of raises another another point in my judgment. Uh, I think one of the the number one ways that practices go backwards or have their performance uh, uh, retrograde to some degree is doctor turnover. Um, And a limiting factor for every group, whether it's a DSO or a private group like your own, is attracting uh, the requisite doctor talent uh, to be able to continue to to grow and flourish. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how you've confronted that challenge and what has led to your either struggle or success in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, when I first started, it was, oh, it's a dentist. I know them. Let's do it. Right. Now it's, all right, why don't you come work for a little bit? <laughs> Let me see, you know, how, how you are. Like, are you good with patients? Are you more importantly good with staff? What's your leadership style? You know, can, can you produce at a level that's going to make us profit? Right. And so, in the past, I think that was more about deal. Um, the future is, you know, it's about relationships. And so, you know, you know, is this the proper relationship? You know, uh, so it's nice to have multiple practices so that I can, you know, test them out. Uh, and then they're testing me out, right? They may not like the way I manage things. They may not like, uh, uh, so, so we don't have to go down. Either one can walk away at any time. Right? So um, versus just starting it and, and saying, let's go. Um, so I think that's, you know, when you get to a certain capacity, a certain level, uh, that's a huge advantage, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah I completely agree. And, and I'm sure the fact that you you offer people a pathway to ownership is uh, a mm-hmm. pretty significant incentive. Yeah, not just ownership. I mean, we're talking path, right? You know, I, I, I'm not speaking for any DSO, but my guess is the DSOs that you're talking about that allow certain ownership back, they're not giving more than 10, 15 percent. Uh, no, 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 and and most significantly less than that. Um, yeah, because so, uh, the the private equity uh, uh, investors that are behind <laughs> the vast majority of DSOs um, require that they have control. So yeah. they're gonna they're gonna want fifty one percent or more, um, and obviously um, the the percentage of ownership dictates the level of profit that. Yeah, uh, one can <laughs> the practice. They're looking for a certain IR, right? And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no doubt about it. Absolutely, uh, and uh, and not a not a small number generally. <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, that's that, that's not us. We are. Hey, we want to drive profit. We we want to be you know fiduciary of of capital, right? But uh, we we don't. Uh, we're not sitting there saying, hey, we had a bad year. We, we need to start you know cutting things, and we need to start cutting people, finding right. new. No, let's just continue to work hard. Let's get past what we're doing. Let's figure out figure out the problem is. Let, you know, let's move forward, right? So, yeah, 
Yeah. Have you have you ever had a location uh, struggle slash fail? And if so, what would you uh, uh, conjecture as to the reasons why? Dan, I am just so brilliant. We've never had a no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we have had, we, we've not had practices not making it. Okay. So typically we did the due diligence ahead of time and, and we, 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 we've gone uh, above and beyond to figure out, hey, can we make this work? Um, have we had partnerships that did not work? Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I as fun loving and a nice person as I am clearly through this interview, um, you know, my personality doesn't, doesn't work with everybody and, and, you know, people, uh, may want certain things out of the relationship. Uh, we had one that, you know, that just moved uh, because, you know, wife had a, you know, there was a family thing, they had to move. And so, you know, once they move and they're no longer the owner operator, then, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, we got to right, find the replacement. Right. We got to do So th those type of relationships. So in, not many, uh, but maybe three uh, in, in over the years that the partnership just kind of, you know, petered out and uh, you know, either I sold to them or they sold to me. Um, but in terms of actual failures, it is tough. It just, it's really tough to fail in dentistry. Um, you have to really do something egregious, right? And part of being egregious could be you're just not a good person, right? Or you don't get along well with the staff or you're not treating them properly. Or, you know, it, or you overspend because you need the, the latest Sarah, right? Um, so my belief is, if you are just a nice person and you have any care for the individual or the patient, you're going to be fine. And so I would say we haven't failed in that regard because we do care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's great. Um, so dentists out there, please become owners. Don't take 10% of a practice. You should go out and buy a practice or build one. Uh, you will be successful. Uh, um, Mike, tell me a little bit about sort of what's next for your group. How do you see the future unfolding for you? Yeah, so it's 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 one of those things where you know we're having fun. Everybody's happy. Uh, we have owner meetings, and I'm not getting yelled at, and so that's really great. <laughs> and, um, we have you know all the partners know each other. Um, you know, because each, each person owns their practice individually with me, and then we'll meet as a group to say, hey, best practices, what's going on? You know, here's what's going on out there in the DSO land. Uh, we could add these things. We could take these things away. You know, what does it look like for you? You know, how's the management team doing? You know, how's our CFO doing? You know, you know what do you need better? What do you need less of? That so we do meet. Um, you know, I don't know the plans uh, for the future, you know. There's, we've been offered multiple times. We've declined multiple times uh, for for a buyout. Uh, if it comes, it comes, and will the timing be right? Probably uh, at some point. Um, I can't work forever. Uh, is this is a podcast, so they can't see me? So I'm, I, you know, I got a lot more grays now. And <laughs> well, in my world, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I so you know, you that characterize me as both Santa Claus and or Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so it's really, uh, you know, it's up to the, the partners to decide, you know, what's next. Uh, I don't, I, I don't push. I'm not that guy. I'm happy with what we're doing. I'm, I'm happy with the service we're providing to patients. Um, and uh, I love expansion. I, I love meeting new people. And so um, I'm, I'm really content. That's not to say that 
partners that would come to me tomorrow and say, hey, you know, the market conditions are such, you know, because you know, multiples are going to go down. It's just, it's inevitable, right? Uh, yeah. And they may come up over time, right? But the multiples are probably the highest they're going to be for the next few years. Interest rates, uh, I don't see them. My, my dad, who's a CFB, says they're going to come down next year. I, I'm not banking on that by any stretch. And so do I think multiples are going to stay where they're at or go down? I would hedge down. It should make sense. Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, in my experience, uh, you know, I, I deal with DSOs all across the country and all uh, shapes and sizes and sort of level of maturity as an organization. And one of the, you know, private equity traditionally leverages their equity investment with debt. And obviously that debt has gotten a lot more expensive over the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a consequence, uh, some of the more highly leveraged DSOs are kind of hitting the pause button mm-hmm. or are beginning to soften their uh, um, uh, their valuations or mm-hmm. um, provide uh, their purchase consideration yeah. in lower amounts of cash and higher amounts of equity or note. Um the, but the the those organizations that I would say are sort of at the upper tier of the food chain, the DSO food chain, if you will, their mm-hmm. valuations continue to be pretty strong, and they're still mm-hmm. pretty active in the uh, in the marketplace. Yeah, but uh, think about this, Stan. The flip side of that, right? If they're not putting their money in dental, where are they putting the money? That they're going to get the same return, right? Right? They're just not, and so right. the valuations may stay similar because they can't find a risk averse, right? We'll say dentistry is not risk, uh, it's not zero risk, but but it's, I would say it's risk tolerant or, or, or lower or reduced risk. Uh, absolutely. Um, and uh, can they get that return somewhere else? And they can't, right? So maybe the valuations don't go down as far as we think. They're yeah, yeah. And, and um, the, uh, uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a great point. And one of the reasons why there's been such a high level of private equity interest in the in the dental market has been because dentistry, as you say, is very low risk and very high return as compared to uh, many of the other kinds of investments in our portfolios. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the national lenders, uh, big banks that focuses on the dental niche, told me at one point that their failure rate in a uh, um, a hundreds of a multi hundreds of million loan portfolio was less than one percent. Mm-hmm. That's about right. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, another issue is dental practices tend to do better than average in recessionary periods and rebound more quickly than uh, than most other uh, uh, businesses as the economy uh, goes into recovery. So. Um, yeah, I don't think the appetite's going to going to change dramatically. And you know, when I started in this business 15 years ago, the vast majority of the conversations I was involved in, I was the only DSO buyer at the table. And um, <laughs> you know, in the conversations today, there's usually multiple DSOs yeah. and you know, they're competing with each other and that tends to create a little bit of a a floor of support for the for the pricing, I I, I think uh, uh, yeah, than would otherwise point. be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with uh, that, Mike. I've taken uh, more than enough of your time. I really uh, 
thank you for uh, making yourself available. I, you've given a ton of, I think, really uh, great content, very valuable for the listeners. Um, any last thought or a pearl of wisdom that uh, that you would throw out? Yeah, I, I'll give you this pearl. Um, Stan, I, I, I can't say this enough. I, I respect you. I think you have a, a level of knowledge that is far superior than anybody that's out there. Um, but most importantly, your kindness. Uh, you, you're very generous with your time. Uh, over the years, I, I obviously I've known you for many years. Um, I, I couldn't be happier to call your friend. And, uh, you know, just, you know, every time I talk to you, you're bringing something new to me. And, uh, you know, so I, I thank you. My family thanks you. And I uh, uh, just, you know, if I can ever do anything for you, uh, all you have to do is call me. I, I'll be there. Uh, but, 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 but thank you for everything you do for, for not only me, but for so many. Other people. Uh, I, I really appreciate you saying that, but I'm going to translate for the audience. That means Mike thoroughly enjoys spanking me in the NCAA wagers. <laughs> I'm telling people that are listening, if you need anything, he's the man. So uh, reach out to him. Great. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Take care. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. This has been Success Strategies for Dental Practice Owners. We hope you gain valuable insights and practical wisdom that will guide you on your journey to success with your practice. To visit Stan Kinder on the web, go to www.everythingdso.com. If you found today's episode helpful, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an opportunity to hear brilliant insights from dental industry insiders. Remember, whether you're planning your next strategic move, seeking ways to enhance your practice's value or dreaming of expanding your dental empire, we're here to guide you on your way to success.